Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time here, hello, this is Gospel Saving Church. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always start with a word of prayer, ask God to bless our service and help us in all the ways that He can, only He can. So if you guys would please join me in a word of prayer, I'd surely appreciate it, Lord. We thank you for all that you do for all mankind, Lord God in heaven. <laughs> Jesus spoke in, in the Gospels and, and said that you send rain on the good and the evil, Lord God, that you care about the good and the evil, Lord, because you provide for them, Lord. And, and we always think about what we don't have in this world. Often, many of us think about what we don't have. But Father God, we, what we should be doing is thinking about what we do have. Um, Father God, provision is, is something that's so basic, Lord. And in this world, people as a whole are just have provision, Lord. As long as they go out there and they can get it and they, they're able to either work for it or go to get somewhere for it, Lord, you offer it, especially, Lord, in America, especially in America. Even as apostate and as hateful that so many people are, Lord God, towards the Jesus Christ of the Bible, yet you still provide for us here in America abundantly. Thank you, Lord God, for what we do have, Lord, and what you do give. And to some you give more, Lord, obviously. But Lord, we just thank you for what you what you give and what you have to offer. We ask today, Lord God, that you would help us to understand the words that I'm going to speak today. As we know, Lord God, that it's only your Holy Spirit that can tell us the things that we need to know about you, Lord, to teach us the things about you, Lord, the spiritual things about you. Pray, Lord God, that people would hear the things that I have to say today and be moved, Lord God. Their hearts would be moved, Lord God, to the truth. We thank you, Lord, and we love you, and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. You guys can open your Bibles if you'd like to read along. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. We're going to be in some other uh, sections to Ezra chapter 1, but Daniel 9 is where we'll camp out for the most of the time today. Then we'll be in some New Testament scriptures at the very end. Uh, last week we finished one more of the many prophecies that Jehovah laid down in the Tanakh or Old Testament of the Christian Bible to define his Messiah when he comes. Meaning again, for the, for the one that's either going to come or has come already, that this Messiah must, not, not questionable, there's no, no questions here, they must fulfill the prophecies that God has laid down in the Old Testament and the Tanakh and to fulfill, otherwise they are frauds. Those defining actions we've looked at thus far have been week one, uh, the hope of Israel part two, because we started with the hope of Israel and we didn't part one it because that was the very last chapter X and then God spoke to my heart and said, I want you to go through, and he didn't tell me how long, the, the many, 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 many sections of the Bible that talk about the prophecy that, that show us who Messiah was, God's Messiah really was, and how Jesus Christ fulfilled those things by his life, death, resurrection, his coming, and his, what he did during his life. So week one, we looked at how Messiah was to be born, hope of Israel part two, and that was, of course, virgin birth, and which family of Israel the Messiah was to be born of, King David, and how that one from the line of King David can't be fulfilled anymore. That one has to have been fulfilled in the past. That's the one we're going to look at today. The one we're going to look at today can no longer be fulfilled. The one we're going to look at today had to be fulfilled in the past. You'll see why. Week two, Hope of Israel, uh, 
part three. What kind of miracles the Messiah would do when he came and where he was to be born. Again, another one cannot be fulfilled today because the town of Bethlehem is no longer under Jewish rule. The town of Bethlehem is not doesn't have one Jew in it, nor does one Jew ever visit there. So again, another uh, messianic prophecy that cannot be fulfilled anymore had to be fulfilled in the past uh, last week week three hope of israel part four just one the one of the name of all names that jehovah will bestow upon his messiah the son of god unlike how the jews are consider themselves all sons and daughters of god this one having the one instance in the whole scripture, the Son of God, the only one where God references his Messiah as his actual literal son that he begot through his spiritual self and that the one that was to be born, Isaiah and 7 and 9, were, were to be literally him in the flesh. And I've showed you throughout all these thus far with proof from the scriptures Old Testament and Tanakh and the New Testament, how Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of these prophecies and so met Jehovah's requirements, making him the one true Messiah. Today we're only going to cover one again today. This one took me so long uh, this time. I know the Old Testament very well, but this is always one of those prophecies that I always kind of struggle with and how to lay it down and how to figure it out, even when I'd listened to teachings for it from, or of it before. Uh, today, we're going to cover only one. It's kind of controversial amongst the Jews. Uh, in fact, when you look at their, what they believe about Messiah, we're going to get to that in a minute, it, it actually doesn't even come up in their idea of what Messiah is supposed to look like. Yet, there's no way that it cannot be Jehovah's Messiah that Daniel is talking about here in Daniel chapter 9. So, uh, there are arguments and disputes about, amongst the Jews about the things that Messiah will do when he comes. As I said in my previous sermons, the Jews who don't believe Jesus Christ was their promised Messiah believes that when he comes, he will, of course, be an anointed king over Israel who descended from the line of King David. Again, uh, that, that, that prophecy has no weight anymore, as I brought out in the uh, second or third week, as I just said, how you know we don't even the Jews don't even know their lines anymore, their lines of who they are. So... The, even if the Messiah does come now and says, oh, I'm of the line of King David, they, they would say, okay, where's your proof? And they would say, I, I have none. So that one can't even be fulfilled anymore, but they still believe that the one that's coming is going to be able to do that somehow through anti-biblical uh, ideals of, of all. Somehow he's going to make himself uh, known somehow, some way, and all the Jews will certainly all of a sudden know their lineage and where they're from, even though that's not biblical. That's not, not the way God operated throughout all his Old Testament word with the Jews. Uh, number two, he, they think he'll be a great military leader that will lead the world into Jehovah's new ways, new ways of rege redemption of all Jewish people, you know, gathering all from all the four corners of the world, returning to their promised land. Uh, they believe he's going to bring in world peace, prosperity, rebuilding of the temple, and then, of course, they believe the dead are going to be resurrected during that time. And as I said last week, the Jews are somewhat torn on exactly what Messiah will do when he comes 100%, but most of those that I mentioned, they do believe of. Those points, by the way, come from a non-Jewish, many uh, a non-Messianic Jewish website called uh, that's that's in their introduction section about Messiah. And as I've been saying about their beliefs of Messiah, they are mostly right in what they believe about him when he comes, but they miss the mark sadly though in the belief that they're only forming their opinion of Messiah through all of his second coming 
prophecies that Jehovah gave. Because Messiah will fulfill all the things that I just mentioned that they believe he will do, but he won't do them until he comes in the end of the end days, as Isaiah chapter 11 speaks about him coming and gathering again the children of Israel. Isaiah chapter 11, we've covered it throughout all, some of my you know, Hope of Israel part, this, that, or other ones, you know, all the ones that I've done so far. This ultimate dilemma, huge dilemma that they have in their understanding of Messiah is that there are more prophecies of him that Jehovah gave uh, in order to define his characteristics, to define the things that he do, to define who he was. There are more things in his Old Testament or Tanakh word that reference, that characterize than what he would do, the Messiah would do when he'd come, just like I've talked about so far. Uh, prophecies to be filled, such as the ones that I've mentioned thus far, mir the miracles that the Messiah was supposed to do, his special name, uh, how he was literally God in the flesh, and the prophecy that I'm going to give you today, this, these are ones that are, are all pictures of Messiah, but they're not pictures of a coming great king to rule the whole world like the second coming of the Messiah prophecies that are in the Old Testament. The prophecies that I'm going to share with you today about Messiah don't line up with those messianic reigning and ruling with the powerful kingdom and all that stuff. Uh, they're actually just the complete opposite. It's actually just the complete opposite. For you see, God speaks of two different sets of characteristics of Messiah, the reigning and ruling Messiah, the one that's going to come, rebuild the temple, do all those good things, reign forever. And number two, a Messiah that's foretold to come in a specific time period in history, dates and everything, believe it or not. The first time that Messiah came, because that's what Daniel 9 gives us, the first time he came, the actual time period that he came in with the dates that he actually was on earth, plus certain things that are not so good that are going to happen to him, here, all here in Daniel 9, uh, and how he will take care of mankind's greatest enemy, sin, in here and all in Daniel chapter 9. So I hope you see the dilemma with the two pictures of Messiah, because there are two pictures of Messiah in the Old Testament, and the only way that we can figure them out, the only way that they make sense, Isaiah 11, 1 through 12, is to look at the ideas that Messiah is going to come a second time, but he's already been here what you know one time, but who was he? Uh, enough about me talking about the prophecies that portray Messiah's first coming. Let me show you Daniel 9. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Many people call it the 70 weeks prophecy. Um, that's just the way it's kind of titled. So Daniel chapter 9, as I told you earlier, go down to verses 24 through 27. And since it's only four verses today, even though it's kind of a longer sermon, even though it's kind of a lot of information I'm going to give you, Let's just read through them once real quick and then uh, just give you a, you know, just give you a, just a, so you can put it all in your mind and then I'm going to break it all down and start talking about. It. So Daniel 9, uh, verses 24 through 27, Daniel records this. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. One, to finish transgression. Two, to make an end of sins. Three, to, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Five, to seal a vision and prophecy. Six, to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, know, for, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, that's important, 
There shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the way... Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of that week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Verse 24. You say, wow, that kind of sounded a little familiar to me. I, I hope it did sound a little familiar to you through what you've maybe heard through New Testament teachings. But uh, Gabriel tells Daniel, verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Many English versions have translated the opening phrase to read 70 weeks, but that translation is not accurate and has caused some confusion about the meaning of the passage. Gabriel was not telling Daniel about a literal 70 weeks like we would know a seven-day, seven, 70-day weeks. You know, excuse me, a literal 70-week, seven-day-a-week weeks as we and the Jews know and knew of them, uh, right? And they know this in the Hebrew. When we go to the Hebrew Bible online, there's this... Oh, so many awesome tools nowadays for us in our in our world. But when we go to the Hebrew Bible online, you can read one on Shabbat.org website, and you'll find that they write the first sentence of Daniel 9.24 directly from the Hebrew to the English, which English is on one side, Hebrew is on the other side, and they say this, Daniel 9.24, 70 weeks of years have been decreed upon your people and upon the holy city of your sanctuary. Why did they say weeks of years instead of just 70 weeks? Because the Hebrew word for weeks is Shavat or Shavah, however you want to, if you're Jewish, you say it different than I would, but it's Strong's H7620, and it does not just mean, according to its biblical usage throughout the Old Testament, Tanakh, Even the Jews agree it doesn't just mean a literal seven-day week. It's also defined as just seven. So there Daniel, or Gabriel told Daniel, 70 70 weeks are prophesied. So he could have said that was really 77s. Or it's also uh, known as period of seven. And it could be days or years. So it's really in this idea, those definitions were formulated again through the biblical usage of the word and the way that Shavah or Shavat is used in Daniel 9.24 demands that it not be translated weeks like seven day week weeks, but rather 70 periods of seven year blocks. So 70 seven year periods totaling a total of 490 years in and overall. Here, it's obvious, even to the Jews who translated this section from Hebrew into English, that Gabriel was not telling Daniel about 70 literal weeks, but rather 77-year blocks of time. Also in this verse, the focus of the program of the 77s was thy people, Daniel's people, and thy holy city, which was Jerusalem. For though Daniel had spent the majority of his life in the city of Babylon, Jerusalem was Daniel's city. For Jews, 
whether they're in the land or outside of the land, their land is always the city of Jerusalem. So what did Gabriel say uh, was to be done or determined for the children of Israel, the Jews, and their land, uh, for Jews and Jerusalem, in the 70 times 7 timetable of years? He goes on to say, the rest of the passage in verse 24, keep reading after the, word, after the words holy city. In verse 24, he says this. This is what's going to happen in a total of a 490-year period, okay? To finish the transgression, that's one. To make an end of sins, two. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Notice all those three are dealing with, what did I say earlier? Mankind's greatest enemy, sin. Notice those first three. That's important. I'll bring that up later. But now number four. Notice that there's a first three and then there's a there's six total. There's a set of three and then the second set of three. To bring in everlasting righteousness. That's, that almost sounds like something specific that I've kind of heard of before. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, I'm not disrespecting my NKJV or my KJV translators here, but I would have to say this. According to the Hebrew, actual Hebrew, I love the way that the Hebrew uh, online dictionary or online uh, Bible from the Chabad website had this verse translated. And they translate it like this. Kind of, I love the way they accentuate the Hebrew more here. They say the first one, to terminate transgression and the second one to end sin and to expiate iniquity uh, and we'll talk about what those mean in a second and to bring eternal righteousness to seal up vision and profit and to anoint the holy of holy so within this 490 year period number one the termination of transgression or rather sin will be completely destroyed is how it would kind of translate over into the what the Hebrew, you know, the Hebrew definitions there. Again, sin will be completely destroyed. Number one, that's I love the way they put that. Number two, to end sin, sins are to be put away, kind of like putting them in prison. They're, they're, they're still there, but they're they're not they're not they're they're locked up. They've they've been they've been bound, right? So they've been put in prison. Number three, the to expiate iniquity, or that would be to make atonement or payment for iniquity. That's literally what the to expiate iniquity means. It's again making a payment for iniquity and atonement. Does that sound familiar? I'm not making this stuff up, I promise. Number four, bring in eternal righteousness. This, this, they're really meant to say here, it's an age of righteousness. Does that sound familiar? That does to me. To seal up vision and prophet, or the prophecy, so all vision and prophecy will be completely fulfilled. And to anoint the most holy, or holy of holies, to anoint the most holy place is a reference to the Jewish temple that will be rebuilt by Messiah when he comes. So those were all, so the, those were and are all the things that can be expected to happen within a 490 year kind of time block. Uh, there are spaces in there. Uh, I'm not going to get to talking too much about that because we've already seen, as I'm going to talk about today, the fulfillment of all the things within the 400, first 483 years of this prophecy. And we're still waiting on the end of the end times because that hasn't been fulfilled yet. But everything else in that first or around that 483 year block of time here has been fulfilled already. 
So God spoke a lot concerning here this first time, the, the sin, concerning sin, the atonement for sins, fixing them for the Jews and the world. Notice in the last three, so there was a first three and a second three, that the sin is not mentioned anymore, but rather an age of righteousness. Uh, things will be finished. Um, that, that seems familiar to me if you're, if you're thinking like I'm thinking. Uh, but yes, that, that, that's kind of two blocks that those things that were going to be done. So anyway, seems like two comings of Messiah to me there as well too, doesn't it for you? Well, anyway, as far as the first three things that will be accomplished during this 490-year time block, uh, just like the first coming, paying for atoning for sin is something that God will do through Messiah, and because that atoning for sin is something only God can do. People can't do that. And, and I'll so, show you later how Gabriel says Messiah, the prince, will actually do this, and it's really cool, uh, The actual what the Bible's saying here. It's, 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 it's a little digging, but it's, it's, it's amazing, the things that God says here. So next, Gabriel goes on to, to tell us how this 490-year time period is going to play out and, and something else important that will happen during this time, for it won't just be a straight 490-year period. There's going to be breaks in it, as I just mentioned. Read verse 25. He says this. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild or, re, or build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. That means that there's a time frame there. Did you see that? There's going to be a command and then Messiah is going to come. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Or, and, oh, and I'm going to go on and finish. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. There's a lot there. First to note, we read, uh, we see that word Mashiach again there in the term Messiah the Prince, which means that God's speaking to us about his great anointing one and his, and his coming in this section and not just another human king. The great Messiah through whom God will do all those amazing things that we read of earlier, those six important things, atoning for the sins of the people, taking away, this, taking away sins, making an end to them, putting them in prison. Next we see there that Gabriel gave Daniel, and all of us reading this prophecy, some huge landmarks within the period of this whole 490 years in which his great Mashiach, or Savior, would come. He said, from God's mouth, he said that Mashiach would come, not optional here, within... Seven weeks and 62 weeks, or seven seven-year blocks and 62-year blocks, equaling a total of 69 seven-year blocks, totaling 483 years out of the 490 after this decree was to be made. I'll go back to when Messiah was going to come during this time, but first, some more details. First, he tells us about a decree to restore and re rebuild Jerusalem. Then he also gives us a clue that Jerusalem's streets and walls will be rebuilt during that 483 time, uh, year time, but in troublesome times or in times of turmoil. First, the restoration of Jerusalem and why was it needed? Why was Gabriel telling Daniel that there was a restoration of Jerusalem needed? Well, at the time when Gabriel came to Daniel, he was actually a captive in Babylon because the Jews had, remember, they had blown it again. They, God gave them a way to live. Here's who I want you. I want you to worship me and me alone and don't worship false gods. And yet, they blew it. They were disobedient. They didn't keep God's Sabbaths. They, were, they, they totally blew it. So, God allowed in their punishment King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to come and conquer and destroy Israel and Jerusalem. And he sent almost all the Jews 
into captivity. He sent them into captivity into Babylon for 70 years exactly. And when Gabriel told Daniel of the next 483 years out of the 490 of the total prophecy here, he said that there would be a time of seven, seven-year periods first. Meaning that when the, within the first seven, seven-year periods or 49-year block of time there, Israel was going to be at the end of their 70-year captivity, meaning that God was going to let them go back to Israel and Jerusalem. Is that what happened? Absolutely. God fulfilled his word through Gabriel to Daniel to the Jews as he is God. And he allowed them to go back and go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the temple and really as shortly after the whole city as, as a whole. It also indeed did happen in troublesome times throughout the whole process as the people that were around Jerusalem and the surrounding cities and areas well, they didn't really like the Jews coming back and they kind of remembered the city the way it was before and how it kind of reigned over all the area. And they liked the king of Babylon's rule, I guess, over the children of Israel's rule. And you could see that in, in the Bible, books of the Bible, or the Old Testament Tanakh books of Ezra and Nehemiah. These guys really lay out the whole restoration of Israel and the fulfillment of Gabriel's prophecy to Daniel and nine, some of it. So first he tells Daniel that Jerusalem will be restored and rebuilt within the next 49 years. And that is exactly what happened, just as I said. But what about the decree? Well, the Jews were captive in Babylon, right? And since nobody that's a captive just to get walk free on their own, oh, I'm a captive, but you know, today I'm going to just decide to be free. Nobody does that, right? There had to be, Gabriel tells Daniel, there had to be a decree to allow them to go free. So the king of Babylon or Persia or so on and so forth, they had to decide to say, hey, you know what, let's, let's free Israel. We don't want to let these people be here anymore. They got a homeland. Let's let them go back. It actually happened by Cyrus, king of Persia, ruler over Babylon at the time when this whole thing started. Ezra 1, 1 through 4 says this, Now the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he might that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you, all his people. May his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Verse 4, and whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of this of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Now, he gives the initial decree to the Jews to give the restoration and the rebuilding of their temple, but there are actually three more uh, decrees that follow his. I'll talk about them in a little bit. Now, so, so far we have the first seven, seven year or 49 year prophecy of the next 483. It's all taken care of as it came to pass, just as Jehovah promised through Gabriel. But what about the next seven, 62 year periods that Gabriel tells Daniel about? The rest of the 483 years, which equals 434 years. What did Gabriel tell Daniel what would happen after that 49 years of the restoration of Jerusalem and the temple within the remainder of the 434 years? Well, first part, verse 25 again, Know therefore and understand 
that from the going forth and command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, basically that's until he comes, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So Gabriel told Daniel that within the total of the next 483 years in total, after the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Mashiach, Jehovah's Savior, would come. Do you know what God just did there? As I said earlier in this sermon, God just gave the exact time frame by which Messiah, his Messiah, would come. What year time frame did God say Messiah would come? We actually know exactly when Cyrus gave his decree to restore and, and build Jerusalem in the temple, or I should say, which uh, started three other decrees that led to the whole rebuilding of Jerusalem. And here they are. Cyrus gave his decree in or around the year of 536-538 B.C. Keep in your mind as we're going through these dates that B.C. went backwards. So 536, 538, 537, 536, 535, 534, that would all be leading to zero. They didn't go higher. They went lower towards zero and then towards one. So that was, again, Ezra 1, 1 through 4. Think in your mind, 538, 536 B.C., That'd be 538 years before 0 A.D. or or 1 A.D. Then there was the decree of King Darius in Ezra 6, 6 through 12, where he issued, it was issued in the year of 521 B.C. See how that gets a little closer to reaffirm the decree of Cyrus. The third was the decree of Artaxerxes to Ezra, Ezra 7, 11 through 26, issued in 458 B.C., Okay, getting a little closer towards zero, which contained permission to proceed with the temple service. And the last decree was of Artaxerxes to Nehemiah, which was also involved in the rebuilding of the temple and Jerusalem. Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8, issued in the year of 444 BC to finish the temple, rebuild the wall, and the city and the houses and such which places God's commandment to restore and rebuild or build his city Jerusalem with the temple, his temple and all that, going anywhere from 538 to 444. Remember, as I said, B.C. going backwards. Now, there are some controversy in the accuracy of those dates and the times, exact times these kings reign that's in question. But one thing is for sure, by 444 B.C., the countdown to Messiah had come already, and it's already had begun. I'll come back to those dates and their importance in knowing what time frame Messiah actually came back, but cool detail as far as Cyrus was concerned. Did you know God is so good? He actually gave us archaeological evidence to show us that the Bible is accurate. Did you know we, st- we actually have today the actual decree on an ancient piece of material that actually gives the decree that Cyrus made initially to bring the children back and let them go rebuild their temple. In 1879, an explorer by the name of Hormuzad Rassam, probably a Muslim, discovered the famous Cyrus Cylinder. It's now in a British museum, and he found them on the site of an ancient site of Babylon. The small nine-inch-long barrel-shaped clay chronicle describes the benevolent policy of Cyrus in restoring captives to their homelands 
along with their religious treasures. You can Google this. I would. It's really cool. It's called the Cyrus Cylinder, and you can see picture, pictures of it. I did. Uh, or you can actually go to the British Museum if you're listening to this this message and you're in Britain or you're in one of the one of the islands over there. It's, but it's pretty cool, and it's actually one of the... Uh, uh, it's actually it's actual one with the words that are from Ezra chapter one. It's it's actually what he said in order to bring them back. God, God is so good. God is so good that we actually have that. People put, had that in question for a long time. Well, did you know Cyrus really you know agree to do that? Well, we don't got any proof of that outside the Bible. Well, now yeah, actually we do. After 1879, that's that's been a long time. People don't don't be blind, right? Uh, so moving on towards the real treasure here about God's Messiah, Daniel nine, we have the time frame that Gabriel told Daniel that the Jewish Messiah Savior would come, and it's one of the four from 538 to 444 BC to, until he came. Gabriel then told Daniel that Messiah would come within within the 483 years or on the 483rd year after this decree. If you're doing some math in your mind, well, you don't have to, I already did it, that would put Jehovah's Messiah set to reveal himself sometime between, now listen to the dates here, guys, this is very important, 55 B.C. to sometime early in the first century, about 39 A.D. Do you realize what that means, as I've been saying throughout the sermon? Jehovah's Messiah has already come. (laughs) Jehovah's Messiah is not coming still for his first time. He came already his first time according to the prophecy that Gabriel gave Daniel here in Daniel chapter 9. God through Gabriel told Daniel that his anointed special king over Israel absolutely would come between those time frames. Now, we don't know which one it was. We don't know which exact decree it was. We just know that a decree was issued to rebuild in Jerusalem, and it was one of those four. Most scholars believe it was the 444 in our exerces, um, because that lines up mostly with Christ. But we'll talk about that later. You may have your beliefs on that or not. But there is some controversy there. They didn't maybe necessarily quite keep the recordings. We're not sure exactly, by the way, if our time frames of, since we had seven seven-year periods and then 62 seven-year periods, we don't know if they butted right up against one another or maybe there was a break in between the 49 years of the restoration and then the, ne- and then the decree. We don't, we don't really know if there were some breaks because God does say through there, through Gabriel, that there's seven seven-year periods and then 62 seven-year periods because we know there's a break in the last one. But from the last one, and I'll show you how this all fits together because there's another defining timestamp here that we haven't yet got to within the first 483 years that shows us that Messiah still can't be coming and it's something that happened in 70 AD. So we have these defining fingerprints on when Messiah was going to come back. God did not give us an option as to when his special Messiah Prince would come. He said that there would come 483 years after the decree to rebuild the temple in the city of Jerusalem, making that return 55 B.C. to 39 A.D., one of those decrees, the one that God spoke of. Well, I think that that's pretty darn amazing. I'm going to come back to this because there's one more huge, there's a couple more huge things that that tell us what Messiah is going to do. And another timestamp that's important to know that we're still not waiting for that Messiah's first come. 
Because you say, well, if there were breaks in the seven and seven and times seven, the 49 years of, you know, of the restoration, and then the next 62 where Messiah was going to come and there was going to be some breaks in that, then how do we know we're still not waiting for Messiah because, you know, we're in one of those breaks? Well, there's, there's a reason, and I'll show you here in Scripture. Read verse 26, and after, so read, start reading in verse 26. Bible says this, Gabriel tells Daniel this. And after the 62 weeks, so that would be plus the other seven, seven-year period, you know, so total of making a total of 69, seven-year periods, after the full 483 have all happened, after the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Messiah, or Mashiach, shall be cut off, but not for himself. I'm not making this up. Please research this for yourself. This is some powerful, powerful information. Then I looked this up. The Hebrew word for cut off is karath. Strong's H3772. And it's the common word used in Mosaic law and simply means to be killed. Listen, specifically to make a covenant. Wow. So he was going to be killed. Think about it now. (laughs) Messiah was going to be killed. With that word karath, meaning specifically to make a covenant and the Mosaic law. Well, put those together. And then it wasn't for himself that he was killed. He was killed, but not for himself. That would then imply he was killed for others. Put that all together. Does that the the only reason God made it when He had the covenant of, of killing bulls and goats and rams, what was it for? It was for the atonement of sin. The blood of the bulls and goats and rams was to cover the sin of the people so that God's wrath wouldn't explode from heaven and destroy the people. Here we have his Messiah Prince being killed with this Mosaic law being killed to make a covenant. Right here, Daniel chapter 9. This isn't New Testament, guys. This is Old Testament. This is, this is like 600 years, 400, 500, 600, 700 years before Jesus Christ ever lived. Does this sound familiar? I, I'm not making this up. I, I, I can't. You look it up yourself. Please look it up yourself. The context of the whole section, what Daniel's saying here, it's all mind-blowing. <laughs> if, if what I've talked about doesn't sound familiar, then you aren't living in a modern world. You don't know, you, you've never even heard of a Bible. You've never heard of a Christian. You've never heard of, of Jesus because the things that I've been mentioning, they're like, they blow my mind. It's like Jesus all the way. Jesus points to Jesus, points to Jesus, points to Jesus. And this is, I'm not making this up. Look this up for yourself. But if, if what I've said already has been amazing, which it should have been to you, uh, about this Messiah Prince of Jehovah, believe it or not, there's even more amazing. Uh, keep reading at, in verse 26 after himself. You know, he was to be killed, but not for himself. Verse 26. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of war, desolations are determined. Well, we know when this happened. Here's our next time stamp. 
You say, well, pastor, if there's a break in between the first seven, seven-year periods and, and the second seven, 62-year periods, and there's a break, how do we know Messiah is not coming? Because he said here, at the end of this 483 years, that the prince of the people who is to come, they're going to destroy the city. The city, in context, in reference, is Jerusalem. And the sanctuary, well, the sanctuary is the temple. Okay, that, that means that we, this happened, we know this happened. The Jews rebelled against Roman rule in, 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 in the early, I think it was early 60s, late middle 60s. And Rome said, uh-uh, we're not doing this. So they sent Titus, the Roman governor, to Israel in 70 AD. And he came in and he destroyed all Jerusalem. Israel, the temple, not stone, one stone is left upon another. You can actually go to Israel, and there's the Wailing Wall is the only wall that exists. It's around the, it was was around the temple, but now all there is are it's a ruinous area, and they haven't built it ever back up. And all the stones of the temple from when Titus came and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed Israel, are all laying all over the place, and there's not one of them on top of one another. Same thing that Jesus Christ told us in a prophecy that he gave in the New Testament before it happened. Uh, so now, as sad as this is that this all happened, unfortunately it did, the fact is actually huge in the grand scheme of things and the importance of Jehovah's Messiah here in Daniel 9. Why? Because of the time stamp. Because this tells us that the sacrificial death of Jehovah's Messiah, Prince, as a covenant to atone for the sins of mankind, was to happen before the destruction of Israel or Jerusalem in 70 AD, which places his death for others as a sacrifice for the atonement before 70 AD, between that 55 BC and that 70 AD. Again, Messiah has already come. I'm not making it up. You can read it for yourself. Look at the history, please. If you are, if you don't believe uh, in in Jehovah's Messiah, or you don't believe that He actually came already, and you're still waiting, look it up. You can't make this up. I, I, I could try, but I'd have to be just a bold-faced liar. Look at the history. Look at the archaeology. Look at what's happened, please. Look at it. Uh, I'm going to tie it all together here in just a moment. But, but first, there's one last one seven-year period that Daniel or that Gabriel tells Daniel of, verse 27. Then he goes on to say, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That would be one seven-year period. And that's the one I told you we're in a break of. But in the middle of the week, or of the seven-year period, that would be in the middle of the seven years would be three and a half years through the seven year period. He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. All of this is future right now. Still, we're in a break of the 490 year period. We've had 483 years already. The 70, 70 AD came already. That Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. We're, we're, in, a, we're in a gap right now. Don't know how long. This is what the Christian teaching says. We don't know when Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come back. The Jews also don't know when their Messiah is going to come. Again, they're deceived. They think it's going to be the first coming, but it's actually going to be the second coming. Not by me, guys. By the Scripture. I've been saying all along there's two comings of Jesus Christ, or there's two comings of Messiah, wherever you're a Christian, whether you're a Jew. Here we see here, Daniel 9, there's another coming. 
There's another coming scripture speaks of Messiah has already been cut off, but not for himself. He's already been cut off. That happened before 70 AD. Okay, so anyway, we're on a break. It's going to happen. If you want to study it out, go to the book of Revelation in the Christian New Testament. It's all in there to the amazing detail of the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to have a seven-year reign and there's going to be a break in the middle of in a three-and-a-half-year period where things are going to change a little bit for him. See, the first year, the Christian teaching goes is that the Messiah is going to, or the fake Messiah is going to come in. He's going to trick a bunch of people into thinking that he's the real Messiah. And then in the middle of about that time, three and a half years, he's going to say, no, enough of that. No, boom, and he's going to bring terror upon the earth. And anybody that doesn't want to follow him, he's going to kill, don't have his mark. Anyway, it's a fascinating study. I'm not going to give it to it here. There's so much that I have still yet to talk about here. I'm going to try to do as quick as I can, try to stay within my hour. Getting back to the description of the Jewish Messiah here in Daniel 9, and what we actually know happened historically, the time period of his appearance with the decree of, of Cyrus and the three others within that 483-year period, maybe there was a break, maybe there wasn't a break, maybe Cyrus was the decree, maybe it was our Xerxes. I'm, I'm not going to get into that argument, but we know again, by 444 AD, the, the countdown to Messiah had come because again, he was cut off and he died before the, the prince of the people to come, which we know is bad, destroyed the temple 70. So we know he's come already. Uh, if we look at the reason he died, remember, uh, was not for himself, was for others. And the way the Hebrews used there, and it was used in a specific Mosaic law way, which would mean a sacrificial way to make a covenant. And that would be, according to the context of the whole section, to atone for the sins of people, and it was all to be accomplished within the four, in about a 483-year uh, block of the command from the command of the, to restore and rebuild or build Jerusalem. Uh, upon all we've studied so far, we must ask ourselves: Number one, who was Messiah? Since he's already come, according to Gabriel, Gabriel given this prophecy to Daniel, and number two. Why are the Jews, maybe even you, still waiting for him to come? Because if you're a Jew or you believe in the Old Testament and then the Messiah hasn't come, maybe you know there are people out there that aren't Jewish and they, they still just believe that you know the Christian New Testament's a bunch of bunk and you know they don't believe it. Messiah, well, you know, they believe in a savior is to come in, but it wasn't Jesus. Why do you still believe it? And you believe in the Old Testament, even if you don't believe the Bible at all. How can you read Daniel 9 and go, whoa, wait a minute here, man. This, this is amazing how, oh, wow, I've heard these Christian teachings all my life about what the New Testament says. And here this guy just read me Daniel 9, six, 700 years before Christ came. And here this is, it sounds exactly like what Jesus Christ did. Did Christians write that? No, 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 Christians couldn't write it. <laughs> Because we have old scrolls that, that are predating Christianity by hundreds of years, thousands, a thousand years. So, so we, got, we, got Christian, we got scrolls way before Christians ever were in existence, guys. And they're all in museums all over the world. Christians didn't write this, I promise you. It was written by Daniel, by the, a man named Daniel, because he really had an, an experience with an angel named Gabriel, right? Now, as clearly as Daniel could have written and recorded here, 
as the angel gave him this prophecy, he wrote that 483 or so years after a decree to rebuild Jerusalem had been issued, Messiah would be here on earth. And we know all those dates when those decrees were made. It had to be between 536 and 444 B.C., the commandment. And then directly after he came, before 70 A.D., sadly the same Messiah Prince will be killed for other sins and not his own. The obvious conclusion to all the info I shared with you today so far must be to say that if Messiah was not on earth 483 years after the decree was issued to rebuild Jerusalem, and Daniel had to be a false prophet. That's, that's really what it amounts out to. He had to be a false prophet, and his book, well, it shouldn't even be in the Old Testament. It shouldn't be in the Tanakh, yet it is. And yet, even if you're Jewish or, or you believe in the old way, you've always read Daniel. And went, Dan, Daniel, man, he's the way. He's, he was a messenger of God. But if Daniel was correct and his prophecy was fulfilled, which I believe it was, I trust in Jehovah's Word, both Tanakh and New Testament, and history and prophecy of it, then who was Messiah of whom he spoke? Because as Gabriel said to Daniel in this section, Messiah both came and left already, being killed as an atoning sacrifice to make a covenant for others. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know any easy way to put this, but if you are Jewish or you're still waiting for Messiah to come or you're still not sure, was Jesus really Messiah? Uh, you've missed the boat because he came once already and left uh, according to prophecy. Uh, now let's please ask the hard question. Could Jesus Christ have fit the bill and fingerprint of God's Messiah here in Daniel 9 considering all the details that God gave us through history and prophecy? Frankly, he is the absolute only one that could have. <laughs> For there has been no one else in all of history that came within the time frame that Gabriel tells Daniel of that even comes close to doing exactly what Jehovah's Prince was said to do there in Daniel chapter 9. Messiah was to come between 55 and 39, 55 BC and 39 AD. He was to be killed, not for himself, for others. It, remember the Hebrew, sacrificially, as the Hebrew shows us, to make atonement for the sins of mankind, as this is why God gave the sacrifices of animals. Same with Messiah. Same wording used. Same word used in the Messianic law for a covenant, for atonement, for sins. Messiah was that one to do that? Look at what Christ's apostles said of him. John 1, 29. Uh, that John the Baptist spoke of Christ this way that John, the great apostle of Jesus, said. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sounds like John believed Jesus put all the sins in prison. That Jesus locked him up. That he took care of him, we'll say. That he made atonement for him. <laughs> wow. Then by his great apostle Matthew, Matthew 26, 28, Jesus says this, For this is my blood of the new covenant. <laughs> He's supposed to be killed for others. Killed, meaning a covenant, Atonement, wow, which is shed for many for the remission 
of sins. Or remission is payment. Payment is atonement. Hmm. Remember what was to be accomplished during the 483-year period. A total of 490, but those first three things that were supposed to be accomplished, which again seemed like a first coming to me. Number one, the termination of transgression will happen, or rather sin will be completely destroyed. Two, end sin, sins are to be put away like in prison. Three, to expiate iniquity or to make atonement or payment for sins. Could all of this be coincidence? Come on. Could it really all be coincidence? The Apostle John lost everything except his life. Oh, they tried to kill him, but it didn't work. He lost everything for writing what he did, that Jesus was the Christ, that he was Daniel's chapter 9 Messiah. He lost everything. Matthew, he did lose everything, including his life, for what he wrote about Jesus being Daniel's Messiah from nine, from chapter 9. Th- that he taught that he was the Christ, where he quotes Jesus in Matthew 26, right before he was to be killed, proclaiming that he was Messiah, Prince, from Daniel 9. And, and when was he born exactly? Well, uh, when was he killed for proclaiming he was Jehovah's chosen king, Messiah, prince? Because that's why they killed him, because he proclaimed to be Daniel's, Daniel 9's Messiah, prince. That's why they killed him. Now, the Jews didn't like him saying, oh, I'm, I'm the Christ. I, I'm the one from Daniel. I am the one that, that was spoken of there. They didn't like that. Well, he was born around 3 AD, and he died around 33 AD, which lines up within the exact time period of when Gabriel told Daniel that Jehovah's Messiah would come and die as a sacrifice for others. His and his apostles' claims of him being Daniel's Messiah of chapter 9, again, cost them their lives. They had zero to gain from saying what they did. They had no benefit what they said of him, those who witnessed him, they lived, they were killed. They didn't get rich. They didn't become popular. They didn't become healthier for what they testified of him. They were tortured in order to get them to recant their belief in him. And when they didn't recant their belief in him, that he was Daniel's nine, Daniel 9's Messiah, they were brutally killed, horribly slowly so that they had a chance to recant that all the time history tells us they died slow deaths that at any time that man pain's a good motivator all of a sudden you're you, they start flaying you as that's what happened to bartholomew one of christ's followers and they they started flaying him taking every inch of skin off his whole body and as they did that he had every every it, moment to say oh okay wait i'm sorry jesus isn't the one no 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 i'm sorry i I, I was mistaken please stop and they would have stopped and he would have lived he would have saved his life now but he didn't and why because he believed that jesus christ was daniel 9's messiah and he lost everything including his life for it Jesus Christ is the only figure of ancient times that fits the finger 
print of exactly what Jehovah said his Messiah would do in Daniel 9. Next week, we're going to study a parallel section to Daniel 9. I believe we're going to cover all of, well, most, well, the end of Isaiah 52 and all of Isaiah chapter 53, where God gives us a picture of Messiah, uh, what will happen to him, and the fact that although he was killed as a sacrifice for others, as Daniel 9 said, to atone for their sins, he didn't stay dead. What? That's right. Yeah. That's all in the Old Testament. That's all five to six, seven hundred years before Christ lived and died too. All the things that what Jesus said were going to happen to him or things that did happen to Jesus, that was prophesied. <laughs> that was prophesied. Facts and evidence, folks, lead to ultimate truth. If you don't believe that Jesus is God's Messiah, look at the facts that Gabriel gave Daniel in chapter 9 of his prophetic book as well as all the precise details of the section and reconsider your beliefs because there's no one else ever, then or now, that's fit this. And we know already, again, that that had to be fulfilled. That was finished for 483 years. was finished at least by 70 AD. So it's all done. This Messiah that God was telling Daniel of in Daniel chapter 9 through Gabriel, he's come and gone. He's come and gone. No one else fits it other than Jesus Christ. With all the details from this section, you should now believe that Jesus Christ has to be Daniel 9's Messiah. Turn to him today. He's not dead anymore. Isaiah 53, go and read it. But he's alive and he's waiting on you to turn to him and put your trust in him. Just like Jehovah said in Psalm 2.12, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Where, where Jehovah gave him the name above all names, the Son of God. And turn to him. Put your heart in his hands. He's real and he exists and he's waiting for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for bringing us here. Thank you so much, Lord God. I, I really was not sure how this was going to work this week, Lord. It has been a rough week, Lord God, a lot of hours on this sermon, Lord God, a lot of hours at work providing for my family, God. But thank you so much, Lord God, for the result. Thank you so much, Lord God, that I was able to get it out, Lord God, in, in, in just about an hour, just like I strive to, to do here, Lord God. I, I know that... It's already a stretch that people sit for about an hour or even at multiple times they come and listen for an hour, Lord God. But I, I, I don't teach fluff, Lord God. It's, it's all researched to the nth, Lord God in heaven. And Lord, I, I just pray, Lord God, people would realize the things that I said today, Lord. Your Holy Spirit would open their eyes, open their hearts to who Jesus the Christ was, Lord. And all the things that he did, Lord God, and that they would just, wow. Be blown away, dear God, by the things that you prophesied to Daniel in chapter 9 through Gabriel. Father God, there's, there's no other, no one else even comes close to fit the fingerprint that Jesus Christ fit. Lord God, please help them, Lord, not to be prideful now, Lord, and reject that, Lord. Help them to accept that, Lord. It's real easy when our ideals or our our. our our beliefs are put to the test, Lord, and we just shut them off. Oh, we don't, I don't change. I don't, I don't want to change. But Lord, God, if they're interested in truth, Lord, open their hearts. Open their hearts even if they're not interested in truth, Lord. God, let this be a seed that grows to a giant, giant tree in their hearts that Jesus Christ is the one, the only one. God, your Messiah, 
that you gave the fingerprint of Daniel 9, that he fit every single last detail. Wow. Thank you so much, Lord God. We love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.